0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. As always, the music for the show today is provided by Misha Zarin, so thank you very much, Misha. I also want to briefly mention the Ozarks Food Harvest, which is a food bank here in southwest Missouri. To be clear, I have no official relationship with the Ozarks Food Harvest, but they're doing very important and meaningful work to help feed hungry people across many locations. I encourage you to find a way to contribute to your local food bank, as it is a cause that has immediate impact on people in your area. I also invite you to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, as well as follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod, Uh, so check me out there. All the links to the social media are available in the show notes. This week, we are joined by co-founder of the cryptocurrency OnfoCoin, Richard Forsyth. Richard is actually based here in Springfield, Missouri, but I didn't realize that until we virtually met to record this episode. Richard has a wealth of knowledge about cryptocurrencies, and is very generous in our conversation to explain some of the more basic ideas, as well as some of the more nuanced reasons that he is both eager to start a cryptocurrency, and why he thinks that they're important in general. OnfoCoin is offering opportunities to people all around the world, and ultimately Richard and his co-founders are striving to make the world a better place. I was so excited to record with Richard, and I think you will love our conversation. Without further ado, let's get on to the chat with Richard. Welcome to The Walk Show Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Richard Forsyth, how are you doing this evening? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much. Um, So you are actually uh, based out here in in Springfield, Missouri as well. We were talking just a little bit before we started recording, um, but you're not originally from Springfield. So how did you how did you end up in the, the, the Midwest here?
1: Well, that's a potentially expansive answer, but uh, I'll give you the tiny tour, and you can follow up with anything that sounds interesting. I was born okay. in Canada, sort of raised all over, and I sort of just—I think a, a prevailing wind blew me here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of from everywhere. So
0: okay, okay. Um, well, so I I came to 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 be aware of you um, through actually of all places a Facebook conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, But it was a conversation about um, about cryptocurrency and and someone mentioned uh, the cryptocurrency OnfoCoin, which is the coin that you started, founded. I don't know what language is is appropriate to use in relationship to to your relationship with OnfoCoin. I suppose
1: the phrase co-founded is appropriate. There's four of us. Okay, Um, I am not a. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm not a programmer per se. I know enough about programming to be a danger to myself and others. Uh, I don't hold myself out to be a programmer. Uh, What what I am is sort of a tech expert from the point of view of business and law. Uh, My background is uh, that I'm a lawyer with a finance business degree. My area of expertise is in financial industry, regulatory compliance, and uh, anti-money laundering.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So – when it comes to cryptocurrency um i don't know too much about it other than they exist and that there are several <laughs> um yeah, yeah. i mean ones i've heard of would be now on coin mm-hmm. um obviously bitcoin is is the one everyone knows mm-hmm. ethereum's pretty popular i've heard of litecoin mm-hmm. yeah but it seems like you know a, a friend of mine has recently started kind of dabbling in in trading and exchanging these these different cryptocurrencies and in just talking with him, it seems like there's at least dozens or is it hundreds? I mean, what is the volume of cryptocurrencies that are out there these days? I suppose it depends on how you
1: define a legitimate crypto versus sort of a flash in the pan. Sure. Um, and, you know, reasonable minds may differ on that definition, but uh, I think legitimately there are hundreds. Um legitimately saying meaning that uh, they're not just quick money making schemes you know here for 72 hours and gone while the founders are in you know Aruba right with your money yeah
0: well yeah cuz it seems like um it 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 seems like the, the almost like they're they're starting to crop up as a substitute for um for like rewards programs like sure like, I saw, like, my, my one friend has a a browser that he's starting using as an alternative to, like, Chrome or Firefox. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Brave. Mm-hmm. And that browser has a cryptocurrency that is its own, like, built into the browser. Yeah. Um, is that, I mean, are you familiar with that one? Is that is that an example of one of these legitimate hundreds, or is that more of the... And, and, and to be clear, I'm not trying to get you in trouble by, like, bad-mouthing other companies or anything like that as much as just... Like I said, I just don't understand how it all fits into the...
1: Well, let let me put you at ease with uh, one of my rather more brash opinions about cryptocurrency. Most (laughs) most of them are junk. Okay. (laughs) Great. That isn't to say that there's no value or that there's no value in participating in the the short run or that they don't have a good point to be made or that they're not trying to achieve something valid. Mm. Um, When I say that most cryptocurrency is junk, I'm usually saying that to people asking for investment advice, which I don't give officially. I give it sort of unofficially to sometimes, you know, me and my friends will have, have informal conversations about investment. Uh, and in those conversations you'll often hear me say most cryptos junk don't buy it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, there are as many cryptos as there are points. There's a cryptocurrency for uh dentists, you know, there's a cryptocurrency, (laughs) uh, you know, there's, there's some, there's a, there's weed coin. There's, there's, what is it? There's porn coin. There's all kinds of you know stuff, right? So, so yeah. And, and they're all, you know, they have different short long-term goals and, and reasons for existing. And uh, boy, you could talk forever about the different types and uh, the different levels of ambition. When you were mentioning earlier, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, you know, there are some others in the industry. We call these bell uh, bellwethers. These are sort mm-hmm. of the, uh, you know, the legitimate coins, um, Bitcoin being the granddaddy of them all. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, most crypto is derivative of these
0: basic kind of core coins. Yeah. Okay. So a question and again, maybe completely ignorant, but is is Bitcoin the granddaddy because it technologically earned that, or is it because it's the first to market? With- I, really, I really like that question. Um, I'm trying
1: to rein in my answer because I could talk for hours about that particular question. <laughs> good one. Uh, I would say that uh, Bitcoin in many ways is the granddaddy because it was first. It is the sort of uh, test case for blockchain and hmm. for cryptocurrency as a, an application of blockchain. Uh, cryptocurrency is, you could say, it's a way of using blockchain uh let's use blockchain to issue a form of digital currency there's other ways to use blockchain but that's you know that's sort of the the hip recognizable one that's what bitcoin is mm. um so yeah um bitcoin is it, it owes its primacy partly because of its uh, first to market and the fact that it is the innovator it's the original right. but also i think in many ways over the years bitcoin has sort of shown what it's made of, it has been resilient um, and uh, it has weathered a lot of storms. I, I've seen ma- in many cases, many times through, throughout the history of Bitcoin, I've been with Bitcoin since nearly the beginning, uh, been with Bitcoin. I could qualify that, but um, I've been involved, been kind of part of the community since about the beginning. Mm. Uh, and in Forbes, and Wall Street Journal, I've seen article after article over the decade or so of Bitcoin uh, predicting its demise saying this is it this is the end of bitcoin um 2012 this is the end um 2017 finally the end of bitcoin it's stuck around so i think the resiliency of bitcoin is part of why it's taken seriously it's really proven to the markets that it's here to stay it's um it it, it just has staying power i think um with any cryptocurrency entering the market any new cryptocurrency um one big challenge they face is to sort of show to the market that um, you're here to stay, that you're resilient, that that you mean it. And it takes time. It's just, and Bitcoin has, you know, a decade in finance is nothing but a decade in cryptocurrency is the entire history of cryptocurrency. So, right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Other than that um, I take the Bitcoin core development team very seriously. I know a number of them personally and, uh, They're serious dudes. They're really intelligent guys. Um, I believe in what, I believe that they're sincere in what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I, I know a lot of the kind of the bigger actors in Bitcoin and, you know, I follow the news. There's a lot of infrastructure in Bitcoin. Consider that Bitcoin, one thing that, again, another reason why Bitcoin is big, uh, Bitcoin operates on mining and mining is basically, uh, Shared, contributed computing power. Bitcoin needs computing power to run. Bitcoin is sort of like the internet. its It isn't, doesn't exist in any one particular place. It's distributed. It's decentralized. It's sort of everywhere, like the internet is. Mm-hmm. And in order to operate, it requires contributions, um, donations, you could say, of computing power. And the combined computing power of Bitcoin is the greatest computing entity on Earth by many factors. It is mm. absolutely megalithic. Uh, And this is just kind of a wonder to behold. It's one of the great wonders of the human race at this point. It's an amazing thing that so much power has come together for the purpose of decentralization, distribution, uh, digital money, blockchain. It's an amazing thing. And I could go on. Uh, But those are some core reasons.
0: Yeah, well so you know a word that that you've used a couple of times and that's used constantly in the conversation about cryptocurrency at, at large I think is is the word decentralization. Mm-hmm. Um I understand intellectually what the word means mm-hmm. but I don't fully grasp the advantages of it outside of maybe some some very a uh, very few examples and I don't mean that as like because I've thought of all the uses and don't find them valid mm-hmm. i literally just don't just don't know like and part of that probably is because i'm a midwestern yeah. american that has family that's also midwestern american right so mm-hmm. if i need to send money to someone i mean, I can just venmo them or whatever right sure. like it, it's not a it, there isn't a limitation that at least is felt by me yeah um is that is that fair is that reasonable or are there things that i'm just not maybe not aware of they're happening behind the scenes like what is the value of the decentralization if you're not sending money overseas i guess is maybe the easiest way to ask that question well decentralization outside of the context of money um you
1: know the value of decentralization is that you sort of take uh, the politics the human emotion the um uh, and the inefficiency of sort of humanity out of the equation. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the idea of decentralization in the context of software in particular is efficiency. Um, it's low friction. It's certainty. It's low mm-hmm. risk. Uh, it's borderless. That's kind of the idea of decentralization of software. Now, decentralization in finance, uh, there's there's even further benefits. Um, you know, we talk about – and I know a lot of people who I, – I use Venmo – a lot of people use, use Venmo uh, or PayPal. Um, just, uh, oh, shoot, I, I saw a lady the other day writing a paper check. Um, wow. <laughs> amazing. I a Probably would have creeped her out. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, all, all these are pretty efficient systems in a way. I mean, well, I don't know, compared to uh, old days of, uh, you know, um, bartering chickens for, you know, fabric or something. But right, um, right now we live in an age of um, – enormous financial uncertainty in terms of uh, government issued currency uh, or sovereign currency, as we call it in the industry. um, The best currency on the planet is the U.S. dollar and U.S. dollar is a mess. Uh, Monetary policy in the United States is absolutely bleeding value out of the U.S. dollar. The the thing about the U.S. dollar, though, is that all other sovereign currencies are worse. Mm. Inflation, the monetary policy, the lack of confidence in these currencies, the relative value, the purchase power parity of these currencies. It's even worse. So the dollar is the best of a bunch of turds. Mm. (laughs) You have cash reserves. You're losing money every day, right? It's, it's a liability and it's always been a bit of a liability because there's always been, uh, inflation, but, uh, the liability has never been greater in terms of storing cash. Uh, Because cash is losing value every day to inflation and to inflationary monetary policies. Uh, And so we live in an age where you're kind of an idiot. If you've got any money just sitting in a bank, you should turn it into something that appreciates in value or at least holds its value over time. Right. Uh, So all that to say, decentralization in finance uh, addresses inflation. It addresses the sort of the bleed of sovereign currency in the case of Bitcoin in particular there is a set amount of supply that will ever exist forever the end. There's no uh, added supply on the basis of one generation's myopic view of things. Mm. Um, and so you, you don't have the sort of uh, money political games of, uh, say, printing new money to pursue one generation's agenda at the expense of the next generation. Right. Um, That's one thing. So it it addresses an issue of inflation. Also addresses uh, an issue of inefficiency. Uh, Decentralization is more efficient. Um, It's more efficient than, say, the Visa or MasterCard network or the checking network, which is also called the ACH network. It's more efficient than even Venmo or PayPal uh, because it's cheap and it's borderless. Mm -hmm. So for me to send money, uh, well, funds, let's call it that from Springfield, Missouri, to Paris, France, or to Moscow, Russia, which is even more complicated than Paris. Uh, It's faster, it's cheaper. And there's less red tape. And uh, in the case of cryptocurrency, there's less of a citizenship test. Uh, Basically, there aren't barriers to entry. Everyone can participate. Um, With cryptocurrency, uh, even the disenfranchised can join the modern financial world. Mm. This is important because finance and the way we use our finance as a form of free speech. It is perhaps the most critical form of free speech. And there are many people in this world, the United States, not excluded whose financial free speech is curtailed. Right. And there are some
0: people who are just blocked from participating. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, um, (laughs) it's, it's just so fascinating because, you know, we've got this whole world of, of, cryptocurrency, but, and I'm just speaking about America at large, not not even the rest of the world, but we don't even, we being the general population, and, and maybe just me, and so since it's me, I think everyone else is like that, right? But um, mm. <laughs> we don't even understand the, the existing financial systems that are, <laughs> that are in place, right. let alone this whole new arena. Um, but is that in part because the existing um, structure that exists around finance? is not interested in the decentralized version of this coming to fruition. Like, is is, yeah. is it kind of like the, the gas guzzling cars aren't really interested in electric cars coming kind of thing, you know, or the oil companies, maybe.
1: let tell say what the banking industry is very interested in blockchain. I don't think they're very interested in decentralization, but any mm-hmm. bank that has a pulse these days is investing in blockchain in one way or another, because it's, mm-hmm. It's an enormous technology that has a lot of potential. And uh, one of the benefits of blockchain is security. And so banks are very invested in that because security is savings, it's bottom line, it's revenue to them. So, um, but uh, banks are not interested in decentralization. Um, They are not interested in competition. They're not interested in... um, I think the big picture, I think that banks like a lot of corporations are kind of interested in the shorter view of, of revenue and um,
0: shareholder happiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you said that you've been in Bitcoin, you know, or involved with Bitcoin for pretty much since its inception. Yeah. So how does one go from, from participating in Bitcoin just as I would assume, you know, a general user, if you will, um, to, to deciding to, to start a cryptocurrency? What is, Boy, that's
1: a, that's an interesting question. You know, um, I started getting this funny in 2009, I gave a lecture, uh, to a group of executives on the subject of Bitcoin mm. and, uh, I pronounced it weird. <laughs> Okay. this is a really weird technology. My problem with Bitcoin in the beginning was mining. I thought mining was a bit odd and uh ba- ba- this was before they added the sort of the divisibility of Bitcoin to 8 decimal points and so I thought the supply limitations were going to be a bit of an issue but uh, anyway Bitcoin did evolve from that point and the decimal uh, issue really made me a believer. That was when I really flipped my my perspective on Bitcoin and, and went heavy and my first action in Bitcoin was to buy bought lots. Mm. Um, actually it wasn't me. I actually have never personally bought Bitcoin, but my, my company bought Bitcoin. Gotcha. Um, and, and we did really well on that. And, um, we started creating applications that sort of, uh, attended to the the industry of Bitcoin. Um, and so, We were Bitcoin industry at the time, and I started uh, working as a consultant to banks and executives on the subject of uh, cryptocurrency and regulation, these sort of vectors of um, cryptocurrency and law and cryptocurrency and business opportunity uh, was what I got into in those days. And so that put me in cryptocurrency conferences around the world. This is how I started meeting people, making contacts and friends. Um, And this participation really reinforced my my interest in it on not just an intellectual level, but on a moral level Um, cryptocurrency is a great crusade for the betterment of the human race. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a real humanitarian thing to me and to many of the people that I know who are, you know, founders and foundational to the industry. Uh, It means a lot to us personally. It's, it's um, anyway. So for me, it went from kind of that intellectual curiosity to the, the moral interest to, I think a gradual observation of the failings of Bitcoin and the bellwethers. Mm. Um, And some of these failings could be described as follows. um, And this perhaps segues to Enfo rather neatly because my cryptocurrency project is meant to address the failings of popular and sort of existing cryptocurrency. So my problem with Bitcoin is that it has evolved into, um, a project that favors nerds and rich people mm. that's not what it was meant to be mm. um it's still really complicated and it's kind of hard to get involved in. now you can buy five cents worth of bitcoin no one's going to do that though they you know the the process of, of acquiring cryptocurrency is complicated enough that it it excludes the average person yeah and, and, and I, I have an i have an issue with that because for cryptocurrency to really succeed in both its sort of Financial promise for investors and for you know early adopters, but also its humanitarian mission. It has to have broad-based support, and it's never going to get there as an invest, a speculative investment tool that is subject to uh, manipulation by uh, internal actors and external actors. And I can unpack that's a lot to, to throw out there, and I can unpack that. But that's that's part of my issue with Bitcoin. I think that. It is absolutely weighed down by um, technolo- technological inefficiencies, legal issues, and um, bad-intentioned actors. Uh, mm. Many of them are prominent in the community. Um, mostly, sort of the big fat in- investors—you know, the the whales, as they call them in, in the industry. <laughs> so, um, having viewed that and and being becoming kind of discouraged with the failure of broad-based adoption with Bitcoin. You know, uh, me and my co-founders, my partners, looked at this and we began kind of uh, whiteboarding the problem and potential solutions. Um, To me, cryptocurrency as a concept absolutely has to do better in terms of adoption Mm. um, in order to succeed. And so that is how I went from early participant to
0: founder of a co-founder of a cryptocurrency. Okay. So I'll just ask the question as candidly as I can, I guess. But I mean, sure. is it a is it an opportunity? Like, is it a business opportunity for you? Is it something that you are then also making a living off of? Or is it more purely a, we want to put this in the market? I guess that's where I don't understand with cryptocurrencies because there's not like an owner per se uh, yeah. of them, right? So.
1: Well, no, not really. Although it's sort of like a corporation. Um, when okay. an individual um, is the you know, CEO or president or chairman of the board of directors by virtue of his, uh, shareholdings, mm. he's the owner, uh, right. you can have a big personality, say like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, he owns, um, some, I don't know, 20 something percent. I don't really know if that's the right number, but it's less than 50%. He owns a large chunk of Facebook stock. And by virtue of his control of that stock, he has a lot of influence in the organization and has essentially through his influence, Appointed himself and maintained himself as CEO of Facebook. Does Mark Zuckerberg own Facebook? We would say that sort of casually over beers, but uh, he doesn't literally. Mm. Um, and, and there is an influence like that in some cryptocurrencies. Take for example uh, Ethereum. Mm. Ethereum is not majority owned by anyone. It's not even sort of minority owned to the point of it being, a, you know, a, an important stake by one individual, but there is an individual named Vitalik Buterin, someone I very much admire, uh, who is an enormous influencer in Ethereum. He is sort of their George Washington. Mm. Um, and you know, one thing he has done over the years is he's maintained a lot of good faith with the community, the Ethereum community, uh, by being just brilliant and being mm. a real decent human being and having great ideas. And you know, I would never say that he's infallible. He's He's, he himself would perhaps say that I, you know, I might've done things differently here or there, but in general, he's, uh, he's been a real, a real human being, real great guy. And so people really like him. There's a sort of cult, cult of personality within Ethereum surrounding the guy. None of this describes something terribly decentralized. Mm. When you've got an individual with that much influence in a cryptocurrency, uh, you know, he's an important factor, right? Uh, if Vitalik Butrin uh, Contracted uh, coronavirus, I imagine it would reflect. It would get reflected in the value of Ethereum.
0: Mm, I see. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. It, well, and again, I, yeah, I guess it was just. I, I was curious if it was a more of a, again, for lack of a better way to say it, more of an entrepreneurial endeavor. Or... Oh, for me, you know, for me,
1: I'm a, one of four co-founders. We all have theoretically access to some founding shares um it's a pool of cryptocurrency that is a part of the larger um potential supply of our cryptocurrency uh we don't have access to it none of us do um it's all locked in smart contracts this was actually a subject of that facebook conversation that made you aware of me and my project um that that pool of supply is understood between us to be sort of a War chest for uh, operating funds. If it comes to the point where we uh, really do grow, we're going to need some operating funds to sort of maintain some of the development operations in sort of the earlier years. Because you know, cryptocurrency, even even Bitcoin, requires a sort of a a supply of funds to keep going. There, a lot of the core development team that runs Bitcoin, they they do work for the value of their personal investments or uh for sort of their belief in the project but they also receive contributions for mm. the, uh, donations uh they're supported by the community and they need to be because even bitcoin you know bitcoin is is a, a masterful pile of code but it does require maintenance ongoing maintenance um and so th- that's what those guys are there to do and so with onfo we're no different we will require ongoing Maintenance and even with Bitcoin, there's a degree of centralization required to keep the thing alive. Um, Though that's sort of checked and balanced by, in our case, the nodes, in the case of uh, Bitcoin, the the miners, and to some extent, the exchanges. But I'm getting into the weeds on this. Um, So Yes, we. I, I get paid nothing. I received nothing. I haven't even received founder shares. They're all locked in smart contract, and basically they can't be unlocked unless all four of us agree on the sort of the unlocking and the purpose and the amount. And it's uh, we're all we all sort of check each other. It's sort of a Mexican standoff. So. Sure, <laughs> sure.
0: I'm actually going to go back a little bit before Mm -hmm. I ask a little further questions. And and certainly this question could be answered by some Googling. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Probably most questions can be right. But, but, but what my, but what I would, what I would ask if if possible, um, you know, the, the Reddit, the subreddit explain it like I'm five, but you've, you've talked about, Cryptocurrency as as an idea, and but then you've also talked about blockchain as more of a separate like technology. What is? Can you maybe explain or again, (laughs) like I'm five? What is? What are these distinctions? Because they're they're not all synonymous terms, right? They're not all blockchain.
1: Blockchain is the underlying technology behind cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Um, It is sort of the engine that makes the car run.
0: Uh, Blockchain
1: is a decentralized distributed ledger. Uh, It is essentially a a record uh, whose sort of alterations, transactions, changes are governed by um, uh, cryptology so that they cannot easily be done or forged. Um, Cryptocurrency is built to be... um, uh, sort of immune to alteration, to uh, false alteration, to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, counterfeit. Okay. Uh, a, a blockchain cannot be hacked. Uh, c- you know, Contrary to popular opinion, I mean, it, it's kind of like 99% true. Can't be hacked. If you're a core developer at Bitcoin, um, you are messing around with the core code. But the thing is, is whatever changes you propose have to be accepted by the community. That's the way blockchain works. That's mm-hmm. how therefore, decentralization comes in. Okay. So let's say that I'm a core developer and I'm like, hey, you know what? I, I think Bitcoin should do this. Uh, I, I write the code uh, I, and I have to submit it because the system won't just adopt it because I put it in there. That That's not the way blockchain is set up. What I do is I submit it. And if all of the partic- the power participants agree that this change is good then it's adopted in the code going forward Mm. uh it's it's adopted sort of um in the in the ledger going forward from that point so that that new change to the code is introduced in the ledger at that that date and time and from that time forward the code is fundamentally changed in, in a certain way um we've seen this in the case of uh um Bitcoin, we we call major changes to the code, we call it a fork. Um. And so there are derivatives of Bitcoin which are created by changes to the code that were not universally accepted. Uh, There's Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin Silver. And so so in that sense, it can't be hacked. Um, You can't just go in and mess it up and, you know, turn it
0: into a Rickroll. You can't do it. (laughs) Right. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, well, and so, so then is it, is it a true statement that all cryptocurrencies are based on the blockchain underlying technology? It is not. Okay. It is mostly true. Um, there are some cryptocurrencies that are
1: based on new ideas that aren't strictly speaking blockchain. Mm.
0: So uh, when it comes to OnfoCoin, is that a blockchain? Yes. Is it using blockchain? Okay. Yes. So so that's that's a similarity but then something that you had mentioned in an earlier explanation was that you know block or excuse me bitcoin is relying on mining mm-hmm. um, whereas onfo is relying on nodes.
1: Uh, no well uh, I was saying that bitcoin is sort of sort of uh, subject to the influence of miners. Okay. Um, onfo is also operated on a sort of mining prospect, but it's different. It's more efficient. So to explain the benefit of Onfo, I should probably explain very, very briefly the mining operation of Bitcoin. So, um, a Bitcoin transaction is changing, um, a ledger entry, uh, in the credit column and in the debit column. Okay. So it's, okay. it's a ledger like an accounting. So when you're, we would, we may call this a transaction, uh, essentially sending money from one, um, one place to another um, in Bitcoin as in cryptocurrency uh, funds are held in a ledger entry in the form of a wallet or a public address. You could also call it that you could think of it as just sort of a holding place for crypto. If I have Bitcoin uh, there is something called a public address, which is uh, sort of a, an address where one may find and uh, confirm that funds exist on the ledger. Uh, think of it sort of like an impenetrable glass box that you can show people that, that clearly shows how much money you got. Uh, you can't get in there. They can't take it without your permission, but you can see what's in there. Mm. Um, that's what a, a wallet is. That's what a public address um, reveals. Uh, so a transaction is moving money from one of these to another. These transactions um, require an enormous amount of computing power in order to dissolve cryptography to prove that it is a valid transaction. This is a very simplified version of what mining is. So mining mining is the contribution of computing power for the uh, resolution of cryptographic mathematics. When I donate my computing power to the Bitcoin network, I enter a sort of lottery. Uh, Every day, so many Bitcoins are awarded to the miners for the participation, and it's, it's rewarded randomly. And so when you mine uh, over time, you tend to earn cryptocurrency from your operations. Back in the day, you know, in the early um, 2010, 2011, 2012 era, we were using laptops and desktops and we were getting one, two, three bitcoins a week. You know, we, we actually got some mining rigs in those days and we were earning like fifty Bitcoin a month, and that was that was that was all right. It's kind of cute. They weren't worth so much back then. Nowadays, to have anything like a meaningful participation in Bitcoin, you have to spend enormous amounts of energy to contribute because uh, every so often, the uh, mathematical operations, the computing operations, get more difficult. Mm-hmm. They it's it's uh, it's more difficult to solve these problems, and so it takes more more power. And also the rewards are, uh, decreasing over time. Uh, they call the, these events halvings, uh, the the reward becomes halved. So, um, I think at the present time, you, you know, uh, you earn like half, you can potentially earn, no, it's, I think it would be 25% 25% of what you could in the old days for mm-hmm. contributing your computing power. Plus you have to contribute more because the um, the operations are more complex. And so nowadays, meaningful mining in Bitcoin requires industrial level participation. Real mining operations of Bitcoin are uh, massive warehouses of daisy chain computers with special utilities contracts. And in many cases subsidized by governments, that's the level Wow. of sort of infrastructure and mining operation that makes Bitcoin run these days. With my, you know, fairly decent computer at my office, I am putting a drop in the Atlantic Ocean in terms of my contribution uh, Right, comparable. So it's not efficient. That's a lot of energy. That's a lot of resources. That's a high barrier to entry for the average person. It's not great for what I called the need of cryptocurrency to be mass adopted. Uh, Cryptocurrency doesn't just need people to hold it or to use it in trade. They also need people to participate in the process of upholding cryptocurrency, of upholding Bitcoin mining. It's important that mining be distributed. Mining has become very centralized. It's it's become something that is very concentrated on just a few actors. For a brief period of time, there was a Chinese company that was doing more than 51% of all Bitcoin mining. Uh, You know, I don't really have a problem with the fact that they're Chinese. But the issue is that you have too much centralization in something that controls something that is meant to be decentralized. It's meant to be distributed. It's meant to be – imagine if most of the internet was controlled in Bangor, Maine. Mm. We would be a little bit concerned about Bangor, Maine and about the potential for the internet to be kind of – to get wonky because something weird happened in Bangor, Maine. That's the same thing with with Bitcoin. So anyway, back to my point on Onfo is mined differently. Um, Our coins are created through the act of creating an account. Um, So um, in order to mine Onfo, what I do is I create a verifiable account. Uh, There's a a degree of, um, shall we say that when you create an Onfo account, you apply to create an Onfo account. We don't just accept anybody's attempt to create an account. So you apply to create an Onfo account, and we verify that you are a, a unique, breathing human being. Um, that's another subject, but once accepted, you get ten Onfo coins, uh, and you also get a referral code. With this referral code, what you can do is you can invite someone else to create an account. Now, to create an account, you have to referral code. So, me creating an account, I had to have received a referral code in the first place. When I get a referral code after creating my account, I offer that to someone else. That gives them a chance to create. An account to apply to create an account, and then they get ten onfo, and I get ten onfo for referring them. So there's a referral reward system. We call this network mining. Mm. Um, so the idea with onfo is that rather than reward um, utilities contributions, um, you know, machine contributions to the system, what we do is we ref- we reward that mechanism that creates value for the network with any cryptocurrency, Bitcoin included. Sorry, with any. I don't know, with any, any object that proposes to be valuable, the basis of that object's value is consensus. Mm -hmm. If you think about the value of the U S dollar you know, you could pin a lot of different value arguments to it, but at the end of the day, it's because we all agree that these pieces of paper with ink on them are worth something it's worth, you know, this $5 bill is worth a burger and fries. Mm -hmm. This is just how we see it. And so, you know, a hundred of these, you know, in scale, and we start to imagine greater and greater value. And so we all accept this. We all believe in this, but you can't eat a dollar. It's not going to give you much nutrition. It's not going to keep you very warm unless you've got enormous amounts of it. And then why are you using it to keep you warm? Mm-hmm. Um, and so on. So um, the reason why anything is valuable is, is because of consensus with Onfo. What we do is we reward those people who, contribute directly to our consensus mm, That makes sense. That's, that's the idea. And, and it's a mechanism that anyone can participate in. If you're conscious and you have a cell phone with you know data, a data plan, then you can participate in the mining operation of Onfo. And the degree of your participation and potential reward is limited to your ambition. Mm. And so for Onfo, we've created something that we believe has a greater chance at mass distribution, mass participation.
0: Yeah, because because instead of needing, I mean, which you just explained that even if you had a, a quote-unquote supercomputer, you know, personally, you still can't even really participate in the mining of Bitcoin. So, and that barrier of entry with Bitcoin seems like it will only continue to get higher and higher, right? Because it will only become more demanding.
1: It's very oligarchical now. And I don't think that the founders of Bitcoin intended that. I think they imagined... You know, a Bitcoin miner in every home, or something, right? Instead of these enormous gigafactories all over the world in the Caribbean, in Africa, in Russia, in China, uh, that have these these massive utility appetites, and and this is the part that I just kind of sneer at these operations that are getting subsidized by governments.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's disgusting, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I watched a, a short thing on YouTube, I don't know, probably three or four years ago now that was, uh, I think it was like a Vice documentary or something, but it was about, and I, I don't know how major these players even were, but it was a, a company in China where, yeah, it was just a three or four story warehouse yeah. that's just filled with rows and rows and rows of, I don't know if they're servers or just, you know, <laughs> computers <laughs> with graphics cards or whatever the case may be. but. yeah. yeah but yeah it was it was astonishing because up to that point i i thought that it was what you just described i thought it was still just people like oh, i'm gonna go to bed for night i'll set my computer to mine for while i'm in bed or whatever you know Uh,
1: imagine abandoned warehouses with dudes in front with machine guns right
0: and an enormous humming sound
1: yeah a disturbing vibration right and uh flickering
0: of lights nearby because it's drawing so much energy Well, and in talking to some friends that, and they're similar to me and that they're not like, they don't have any real insight into this, this stuff, but, but with their limited knowledge as well, that was what they cited as a concern about Bitcoin specifically was, well, it's a, it's environmentally horrible because it's, horrific, you know, and, you know, to, to step outside a little bit of our conversation, but I mean, you know, obviously COVID-19 has changed the world. Um, and there's a lot of fallout probably still on the horizon from it. Um, but the the reality is that climate change is probably a bigger problem than that <laughs> and is still looming. Um, and is certainly worthy of attention and something like Bitcoin while on the one hand is, is progressive in so many ways, seems to not be in the case of environmentalism. You
1: know, there, uh... Apologists to cryptocurrency, to Bitcoin in particular, are going to argue that um, Mm. the contribution of utilities to the production of Bitcoin is part of a basis of its value. Mm. In other words, um, we've shown that it takes so many watts and so much hardware to create a Bitcoin. And therefore, that is sort of a starting uh, point for an argument for its value. Although I think that's absurd it's sort of like saying that uh, I went out and dug 50 holes and then filled them back in. And the value of my labor is worth the, um, the going rate of a person who digs holes times 50. Right. I I don't get that at all. Um, for me, the, um, the idea that its value is based in sort of utilities contribution towards just sort of a a ledger entry. it, It doesn't make sense. Um, to me, it's it's abundantly clear that the value of Bitcoin is based on consensus and consensus alone. And so the expenditure of utilities, the expenditure of machinery, hardware um, is, is just not necessary.
0: Well, and it's not consistent with the way that we look at other currency, right? I mean, the, the U.S. dollar, we don't say that it has value because of whatever weird paper mixture they use to make it right. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, that, that doesn't make sense.
1: In, in my view of things, uh, consensus is the beginning the end of value. Um, consider uh, some hundred years or so ago, hundred year years ago or so, um, lobster was considered trash, right? It was the food of the poor. If you're from Hawaii, uh, this is what you ate because you could just go in the backyard and grab some and it was considered junk. And what they really wanted was, you know, hamburgers or something. Um, and now lobster is extremely, extremely expensive. Right. Uh, if I go to the grocery store and I want to get lobster or, or crab legs, you know, for example, if I want to get something like that, it, it's enormously expensive because of the demand and because of the supply story. But what this is really about is that we all agree that it's freaking awesome and we all want it. And that consensus is what has created value in that market it's the same thing with art um art you see artwork some some of them are kind of absurd looking to the non-art trained eye like jackson pollock paintings kind of confound people who aren't really into art as to why it would be worth millions because it looks a mess but um you know his artwork is sold for millions and millions of dollars um And and as the joke goes, oh, my, my kid could do that. I'll just buy my kid a bunch of paints and and tell him to go nuts. Um, It's, it's valuable. It's value value is legit and it's reliable as an investment because you can count on that consensus. That consensus is broad based. Mm -hmm. It's practically universal. Uh, Whether or not you agree that a Jackson Pollock painting is beautiful or aesthetic in
0: some way, you'd love to inherit one. I would too. Right. So, so I, I don't know if this question makes sense or not. So you'll forgive me if it doesn't. But, um, you know, so something like when we're talking about the value of things, something like like if a person was to, to say, buy a house, right? Mm-hmm. Like the house, kind of regardless of what medium of trade we have to have access to the house, whether it's dollars or chickens because we're bartering or whatever, the house has value because it provides shelter. It's a home, right? It's a mm-hmm. place for people to stay. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I mean, I guess to some extent you could argue that that's consensus still because, you know, you can stay in a tent and that's also shelter. So I, I guess my point is that, is there, is it, is it true that some things have like a house is an easy, easy example, but a more kind of intrinsic value that's based on, on a, a real practical application that it offers versus something like a money or a currency or, and I'm probably using those words incorrectly, but sure, it's just a medium of trade. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, there are things with inherent value, um, clean water. Mm. We don't live long without that. That's probably the number one inherent value resource to humans on the planet. One problem with clean water is it doesn't make a very suitable medium of exchange. Right. Uh, and it's fairly abundant. And so a glass of water, uh, a clean glass of water is fairly cheap. Uh, But boy, does it have intrinsic value. Um, Things like wheat, grains have an enormous amount of inherent value. It it is argued. It was once said by J.P. Morgan, the J.P. Morgan, who founded uh, J.P. Morgan, that uh, the only thing of inherent value is gold and everything else is derivative. Mm. Uh, I tend to disagree. Um, gold has enormous utility, and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general have been compared to gold in some ways. Uh, Bitcoin, sorry, uh, gold does not make a very suitable medium of exchange. In times past, it has been a medium of exchange in the form of coins and so forth, but it's kind of easy to fool people. I read the story about the Bank of England buying billions of um, pound sterling worth of gold from the Chinese government, only to find out a decade or so later that they put lead bars in the cores of them, mm. you know, so this I'm sort of air stuff. Air. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but gold, you know, if you want to find something with nearly universal consensus, it's gold. Mm. everybody wants gold. Everybody likes it. It's pretty. And everybody knows that everybody wants it. It's kind of hard to buy a Ferrari with it uh, directly but uh gosh you know you know that if uh, someone slaps a couple big you know bricks of gold on your doorstep you're gonna have some options uh, right yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know that. You, you you know that as much as you know that the sun will rise right. and...
0: yeah you know it right well and, you know gold's an interesting one because i hear i hear people cite it as like oh well it actually does have real world use like an electronics producing and, and that sort of thing but but how widespread is that really i mean it would have no use to me like I don't produce electronics. Right. So I'm not going to melt gold down and and manufacture something with it. Um, so it sounds like what I'm gathering from this is that yes, something could have an inherent value such as a house or clean water is a a better example, Mm -hmm. but that in and of itself doesn't mean that it is now, um, a a good medium of exchange. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, so, what makes a good medium of exchange? Well, it sounds like it sounds like something that is that has consensus mm-hmm. is a starting
1: point, and is hard hard to, hard to uh, counterfeit. Right. Hard to manipulate.
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah. So, so we're we're starting to build kind of a picture of what makes good money. You know, the the king of money uh, is still, as I started this conversation, is the U.S. dollar. Right. But if you think about it, it kind of stinks. And especially US dollar in the form of paper, think on it. I mean that's terrible. How easy is that to counterfeit? Now we've we've made it harder to counterfeit and um, we're doing a little bit better there, but it's certainly not impossible. And at times past in times past in the history of the United States and US dollar, uh, nations have attacked each other by injecting new supply of such convincing forgeries that you can't tell the difference. Wow. I mean, and I'm not saying the United States is super vulnerable to this exactly because we're doing that to ourselves with uh, quantitative easing uh, every month, uh, which, you know, for anyone who hasn't heard that phrase, this is the printing of new money and the introduction of new money into U.S. and world markets. Any time you increase the supply of something, you water down its general value. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is just being done on a constant basis to pay ever ballooning debts that we can't afford right. this is what i meant by monetary policy in the right. united states this is our policy we're printing new money to pay for stuff we can't afford it's it's sort of like charging it on the credit card yeah we can't pay for it just charge it keep charging it and it's just it's just keeps rising and rising going out of control more and more and i feel like this is an issue that transcends politics the looming question of how we're going to pay for this and who's going to pay for this is an unanswered question and it's a daunting one it's a it's a dark cloud on the horizon
0: right yeah that's i mean again obviously i am no financial expert at all or know anything about it but it, it seems like just with what's happened in the last several months you know as a result of the pandemic and, and mm. the united States responds to that that it just seems like there's going to have to be a fallout that is far more significant than what seems to be anticipated by the general public at least Well, there
1: there has been Uh, one thing about the layperson in general is that they tend to not notice the creeping nature of inflation Mm. we tend to have kind of a day by day week by week month by month view of money and what it can buy right but in the last year we've lost a lot of purchase power i've read that it's as much as 28%
0: wow have you noticed no I, I can't say that I mean I don't I don't when I go to the store I don't I'm not noticing well, wow everything here seems 25 percent marked up or something right
1: looking at looking at this from a bit of a longer view um, not a lot of people have been around long enough to notice this but you, you can kind of if you watch movies and especially older movies and you hear people quoting the prices of things and you kind of giggle like holy crap you could buy a car for two thousand um, dollars the US dollar has lost. of its value. Actually, it's probably more than that now. 98% of its value in the last 100 years.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: now economists are going to say that inflation is important. Part of uh, what inflation addresses is supply issues. Uh, Inflation can have a role in a healthy economy. And actually, ONFO stands for that. Uh, We actually have an inflationary mechanism in ONFO that is uh, quite different from most cryptocurrencies. And that's a Another subject. But what we address, what we're talking about here is out of control inflation. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about here is runaway inflation and um, the likely consequences, the sort of accounting that we think that we're all going to have to, to face up to at some point mm-hmm. until it gets reined in.
0: ideal picture of things like ideally would, would would there be a world where everyone is using coin and that is the cryptocurrency of the world or is uh, there
1: I would say emphatically no I'm excited okay. to say no okay we do not stand for uh, a currency alternative that we hope one day will dominate the planet and basically force out other competitors we think comp- competition is healthy uh cryptocurrency There are many different types of cryptocurrency and some of them are very valuable and unique and do not address issues that we attempt to address. Mm -hmm. In the case of Ethereum, for example, Ethereum is a really interesting idea. And I barely even think of it as digital money because what Ethereum is, is programmable blockchain. It's the ability to have software that is decentralized and distributed. In a way, you know, Ethereum is based on a really different idea um, than than bitcoin and so in that sense it really has its own sphere of influence and utility and i'm a big fan and i I cheer them on and i don't even i guess in some people's eyes i could they you know we could view them as competitors but i don't see it that way i see them as um colleagues i see them as uh as uh great actors in in a great crusade and so i'm a big supporter i hold ethereum myself and um so, yeah. So, no, uh, Onfo definitely looks forward to and fosters the idea of healthy competition in global digital
0: currency. Okay. Okay. We just want to be the biggest. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I was just curious. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't. And you answered the question, but I, I didn't I didn't understand how that, that all played because, um, you know, obviously in some enterprises, people do just want to be the dominant if they can. Yeah. Be. I mean, certainly yeah. competition is healthy kind of thing, but... Um, yeah. I don't think Amazon is mad if Walmart goes away. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they will be. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so if I wanted to be an EnfoCoin user, I mean, obviously it sounds like I have to get a referral code first. So it's not something that that's just, I'm able to just pick on my own entirely. Yep. Um, but it also sounds like there's not really any risk because I'm not having to invest in computer hardware or in utilities or any of those things in order to participate. Um, is there any risk that I'm not understanding in, in being an coin user? There really isn't
1: much much risk. If you have a smartphone with a data plan, you're already in. Um, one thing that sets us apart from most other cryptocurrencies is we're not selling anything. Mm. In order to get involved in Ethereum, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ripple, whatever, you have to buy it. And at, at that entry level, there is financial risk. You could... From the point of view of, of an investor, you could lose a lot of the value or all of the value of what you invested. You could trade $100 for the equivalent of Bitcoin, and then Bitcoin bottoms out to less than a penny in value for some bizarre reason. And then you've kind of lost the purchase power of the Bitcoin you acquired. Mm-hmm. Uh, very unlikely in the case of Bitcoin. Boy, is Bitcoin um, valuable. And it just, you know, if you look at its trend line from uh, history to present day, it's just an upward, you know trend line so um, it's pretty reliable and Bitcoin is a, a haven for wealthy people around the world because they know you can count on it. It is, it is the rock of Gibraltar. It's fantastic Compa- especially compared to alternatives. Um, but so Enfo is great because we remove that um, basic risk which we believe is the great one of the great limiting factors for mass adoption mm-hmm. right? Ah, uh, people in Indonesia, people in in Ukraine, people in uh, Bangladesh are uh, hard pressed to buy much of any cryptocurrency whatsoever because, frankly, they don't have a lot of savings, and the savings savings they've got, they've got to to keep by in a very liquid form in order to address, you know, the latest disaster. In the case of Indonesia, you know, volcanoes keep blowing up, um, so they it's it's just not cryptocurrency is not available to indonesians in a general sense because of the way it's set up because you got to buy the stuff or you got to mine it no way they're mining it right no way unless you're the son of the president of indonesia and you got some special deal with the local utilities company and you just get a sweetheart deal and you get it all paid for or whatever right um yeah so onfo is uh it can reach the third world it can reach those parts of the world that need cryptocurrency the most Mm -hmm. those parts of the world where Uh, Free speech is limited, and one of the biggest ways it's limited is financial control, monetary control, Uh, a a sort of keeping people from accessing modern finance and modern financing financing tools. If let's say that I am a digital artist and I live in Indonesia, uh, I would like to sell my services to the world, but. My ability to, to collect funds without a lot of intermediary actors draining it all from me by the time I, I get it in my bank account is pretty limited. It's pretty hard for me to compete. But with something like cryptocurrency, you don't have so many middle actors, and the transactions are, are not so expensive, and they're faster, and also they're, they're more provable. You have less of that nonsense of, well, uh, we, we misplaced your funds, or we don't know what happened in the financial transaction. It just went poof. Uh You don't get that in cryptocurrency because blockchain can't be hacked. It can't be uh, sort of forged, falsified, and the transactions are always there. They're always provable. They're always transparent. Uh, And so for a person who's got something to sell, especially like a skill, in a part of the world where they're being kept from participating, cryptocurrency uh, is something that gives them access. Onfo is something that can reach those dark corners of the world. Unlike most cryptocurrencies, that sell their cryptocurrency in order for you to acquire. It. Now you can buy onfo from someone looking to sell it. That has right. nothing to do with us, right? We have our own market, and there are people who are swapping onfo for cash. Great, don't really care. That's their business. But onfo as an organization does not sell anything.
0: Mm. Okay. Um. So something that that you you that's kind of always a a looming question or or idea that's brought up in this conversation that I hear is, you know, there are detractors that will say, okay, well, it's great that it, you know, governments in these third world countries can't meddle and those sorts of things. Right. And it gives access to these people who otherwise wouldn't. And those are the good parts of it. However, the downside is that it also means that bad actors Mm -hmm. have a, it's harder for law enforcement or governments or whatever to put a limitation on them. Um, Hey, let me Which, ask you a question. Are criminals doing business
1: around the globe? Is is Does crime pay?
0: <laughs> yes. Hell yeah, it
1: pays. It pays big. Right. Have you ever watched Breaking Bad? Yeah, yep. Those big pallets of cash and those dudes sleeping on it. Right. Crime pays. Now, <clears throat> in some parts of the world, it's a little bit difficult to use your money that you got from criminal operations. But for the most part, uh, Money goes through criminal money goes through banks. And uh, we're talking about a system where uh, banks are supposed to combat money laundering. They're Mm -hmm. supposed to combat the financing of crime and terrorism and they do, but the penalty for doing so is a fine. Mm. So what we've done is we've created a system uh, that uh, it's just costly and prejudices non-power players. Mm. I see. Okay. That's the current state of affairs of crime and banking. All right. And if you want to, you know, I I could get kind of cynical about this, about politicians and corruption and corrupt money and the missing money. You know, Um, you know, the modern system is built for crime. It is the perfect playground for criminals. And you can see, you know, the existence of cartels and, you know, golden AK-47s and Ferraris and stuff it pays baby right um and the modern financial system has not stopped crime it has not stopped money laundering it's just created a system
0: that favors um power players right well and and my you know i think that all makes sense and that was honestly my my kind of sentiment regarding that that point of like well it's enabling bad actors well i mean you know (laughs) the place that people who probably don't know what they're talking about will point to is like, oh, well, on the dark web, these things exist. Okay, fine. But the internet exists, right? And the the quote-unquote dark web or whatever exists as, as a byproduct of that, but that doesn't mean that the internet itself is not valuable and tremendous just because there's some splinter from that that, that is bad, right? So same kind of thing with cryptocurrency. Just because someone uses it for something nefarious doesn't inherently invalidate the whole the whole thing.
1: I mean, what is what is the Darknet? The Darknet was created by the United States of America. It's okay. based on TOR, which was a Navy program, all right? Right. Uh, have you ever heard of Echelon, Prism, X-Keyscore? I've heard Edward of Prism, I think. Yeah. Edward Snowden. There we go. <laughs> Un, you know, illegal domestic spying, which continues to this day. And they've, they've removed the pretense of it at this point. Right. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah, we're just, you know, we, we, we joke about Alexa being the FBI and the NSA, you know, all rolled into a, a, a tin can. Um, the government is the dark net. They
0: invented it. Right. They just don't want us to have one, too. right. Right. Yeah, I, I. That's. I mean, obviously, a different conversation, but maybe. I mean, maybe relates though. I mean, to some extent, I do think that um, it's remarkable how quickly we traded away <laughs> our privacy. I mean, my. I have a Google phone, like a Pixel, and um, if I, you know, it will pop up once in a while and ask me to fill in a, a spot in my day where the GPS tracking wasn't able to determine what store in a shopping center I was at or, or, or that sort of thing. And it's just, it's just like, <laughs> why do you, why do you care? Why do you need to know? And I know why, because they make money off of it. But I guess the point just being there is, the amount of privacy that we've traded away is, is tremendous. And I guess to some extent, perhaps cryptocurrency acts as kind of a, a shield back against that, that forfeiture of privacy. Is that, is that true? Because- uh- Cryptocurrency
1: forces things into the light. It uh, chases off the cockroaches. Exactly. Um, With cryptocurrency, you have the best of both worlds. You have uh, privacy and security. Uh, A lot of people accuse cryptocurrency of enabling anonymity. Now, that's that's a complex topic. We could have a whole podcast on that subject, and it's an interesting one. There is anonymity to be had in cryptocurrency. There's anonymity to be had. Hey, look, you ever seen a crime show where there was a drug deal with a briefcase full of $100 bills? Right. Pretty freaking anonymous. Right. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in a dark place in, you know, Bucharest or something. Right. By the way, the criminal currency of choice, paper USD, of course right. it is. Of course, um, it, it's, it's, it's the most anonymous thing ever. Now, cryptocurrency is digital. And the reality is that the United States government wants all money to be digital. There have been measures to end the $20 bill. Why? Because they want people to use digital commerce more because digital commerce is far easier to track, control, and tax. Right. And
0: seize. Right.
1: So when you add blockchain, you add decentralization and distribution, of a system like this. You make it harder for governments to arbitrarily uh, or illegally seize goods. Um, in the United States, we've got a problem with asset forfeiture. This mm-hmm. is another subject that transcends politics. On both sides of the aisle, people are concerned about the arbitrary uh, seizure of assets with no legal recourse. Cryptocurrency does not permit this sort of thing whatsoever. Right. Uh, you could say broader in a broader way is taking a step back. Cryptocurrency uh, is anti-corruption on many levels, uh, and what does this world need more than anti-corruption? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Both carbon emissions and anti-corruption, man. Like, yeah, but I think if you can if, remove if some the,
0: fundamental things, I think if you can remove some of the corruption, you can get more people who are on board with removing the carbon, right? Like,
1: <laughs> hey, listen, and here is another reason cryptocurrency is fantastic: uh, it enables frictionless, low-cost, provable contributions to humanitarian efforts. Mm. The money trail of charity is complicated. Do you know that uh, basically being an NGO, being a charitable organization is an automatic red flag for automatic audits because charities are so often used for money laundering and the financing of crime and terrorism? Mm. Disgusting. We've co-opted human mercy, human charity. Uh, and, And it's an easy target. But with cryptocurrency, you get none of that garbage. Right. Charities are charities. Uh, money contributed for a charity is is transparent, and it you know when it is sent to its destination, you can prove that it's there. That the amount of money that was meant to be sent is still there. There's less friction. There's less cost. It's fast. Um, it's better for charity. And cryptocurrency uh, in its history has been used a lot for mm. charitable purposes. It's the best for charity, actually. And by the way, Bitcoin Bitcoin is the universal. Uh, currency it is wanted in every place on the planet if you go to someone in uh, nepal or i don't know some some deep part of africa or uh, anywhere in asia anywhere really and you you propose the exchange of Bitcoin for something, people's ears are gonna perk up. It is known everywhere. I know that for us, I talk a lot about Indonesia because Indonesia is a big area of growth for us. It's a big area of opportunity for us. And a lot of people have benefited from Anfo in Indonesia. One of the things I tell people say, what do you do? And when I give them the short version of what I do for a living, I say I help poor people make money. And I literally do that in Indonesia. I provide a way for poor folks Uh, By sort of leveraging their social goodwill and their contacts to make a bit of scratch to get by. It's a tough place to live. Um, And so uh, in a place like Indonesia, cryptocurrency has enormous potential. Uh, enormous value. The United States is going to be the last frontier of cryptocurrency. Mm. Americans are still pretty well off. We're doing great. Hey, we're using Venmo, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're doing great. So the need, the need is not some, so much there as it is in third world countries and in desperate places. Um, and there are places more desperate than Indonesia. Indonesia is probably one of those middle regions that, in terms of human suffering. But right, um, you know, there there's enormous potential to help people um, in cryptocurrency. And I see it every day. I, I see the applications go by. I see them getting accepted. I see people getting rewarded for their efforts. And I see people participating in economies where they exchange their on for, Bitcoin, where they exchange it for local specie, and where, uh, presumably they use it for their needs. And that's awesome.
0: Yeah. No, that's really cool. I, I, I definitely had never really understood cryptocurrency as, um, a tool for impoverished people, um, which I think is one of the most worthy causes that <laughs> we anyone could- Everybody remember.
1: wants it. spends, it spends, baby. It spends everywhere. From, you know, Tokyo to Hawaii, everywhere Bitcoin spends, and it is desired everywhere. And there are there are many, many, many ways to spend cryptocurrency. Many ways. A lot of people don't realize it. Like, well, I'm, I'm aware that my local uh, grocery store doesn't accept Bitcoin, so why would I want it? Look, man, There's so many ways to turn Bitcoin into Doritos. You have no idea. Um, One way is to participate in a debit card program that allows you to deposit cryptocurrency. And on the back end, on their side, they, uh, they exchange cryptocurrency for US dollars in real time and remit to the merchant in USD or whatever they're asking for, euros if you're in Europe. And so it spends like any debit card and you don't have to deal with the the transaction, the mechanism that converts it from one thing to another, you just have a Visa card, right? And so uh, there, and there are so many, so many ways to spend Bitcoin. There are a lot of institutions that accept it directly. More and more, Microsoft, for example, accepts uh, Bitcoin direct because they know it's awesome, man. They right? It. Um, it, Steam accepts it.
0: Oh, well, there you go. I'm a, an avid gamer, so <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, is part of that though because which is it's so funny. In I mean, thinking of this question, I realize the, <laughs> the um, how it, it doesn't make sense, I guess. But anyway, I guess what I was going to say is, it's it seems like well, people would be eager to accept Bitcoin because, as you said, since its inception, the trend line is just up, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but what's funny is that, like, it, it's funny for me to say to draw that conclusion after we've just been talking for quite some time about how. The value of the dollar is the other direction but that's also the most like that's the most popular currency but it only loses value so clearly people aren't exclusively looking at the the value store of a currency because the dollar is not a good one
1: it's not just the value store it's really how it spends one one fundamental issue with cryptocurrency is that you can't pay utilities with it okay in most places although that's changing the uh state of ohio now accepts cryptocurrency for the payment of utility bills
0: I see, I see.
1: And you're going to see that more and more. Utilities are fundamental. We talk about clean water housing. You got to keep your lights on. You got to keep your water running. Right. Uh, and when the people who provide those necessities to you say, hey, we accept euros, then in, in your mind, you know, that it becomes sort of the fundamental thing that you need to stay alive, to stay warm in winter. And so that's sort of the basis of sovereign currency in, in, on a sort of psychological level for many people. They understand that that fundamental need to meet those those core needs, um, but that will change over time. And with a little bit of creativity, really, it's an education gap. With a little bit of creativity, you don't even need to worry about that because again, um, cryptocurrency, especially the bellwethers, they're very liquid. They're very, you can you can exchange them for sovereign currency real easy in a lot of different ways. Um, it's it's not hard. It's secure. It's it's a good way to go. Um, again, yeah, there is a bit of an education thing. Onfo has not reached the level where it is so easily exchangeable that uh, it has that sort of sense that you can just about buy anything with it. Uh, although I will say this, there is a very easy route from Onfo to Bitcoin. So if you're looking at the liquidity, the, the, the sort of the spending power of something as new um, as Onfo, it's there. It's just there's a there's a little bit of a roadmap to follow with it, but it's not bad. Lots of people do it. They do it every day. Uh, Onfo is real, real money that spends. So yeah. when you create an account, you get those ten tokens. You're getting something that does spend. Um, if you have any kind of ambition, if you're willing to go on social media, talk to your friends, say, "Hey, here's my referral code. Try this out. Earn some crypto for yourself." Um, if you're willing to do even that much you can earn a fair amount. And especially if you're in a part of the world where 20 bucks matters, where a hundred bucks
0: is serious. Right. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, Richard, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to join us this evening and to, to have really a broader conversation about cryptocurrency and some of the underlying technologies and ideas. Um, obviously this is all <laughs> probably pretty common information for you, but, but for, for yeah. me and, and I think probably a lot of my audience um, this is all very enlightening. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, that hey, means- listen,
1: my, my, referral code is share this all lowercase.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. I was, I, yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, there you go. Um, Hey, well, don't I,
1: hesitate to reach out to me if you've got any follow-up questions. If people are kind of pestering you about things I've said or wanting to understand other things we could do a follow-up or shoot, I could write a post or something uh, to address certain questions. Um, sure. Yeah.
0: Well, that yeah, that that's very generous of you, and yeah, you know, people can email me obviously at walker at the dot mm-hmm. um, I'd be happy to 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 follow up with Richard on any outstanding questions that we have. Cool. Um, again, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you wanted to 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 speak to while we're here?
1: Uh, no, I probably have said too much. If I've said enough. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, Richard, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it, man. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Bye. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Richard Forsyth for stopping by. Really appreciate your time and really appreciate just having this conversation. It's an interesting topic that there's just constantly more and more to to learn about. Also really want to thank Misha for providing today's music. And of course, thank you to the listener for listening to the episode. I also encourage you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about why gaming matters. So we talk about video games, But instead of just doing news and reviews, we really try and talk about why they matter to us and why they're important in the same way that movies or TV shows or books or whatever else it might be are important to people. You can find Pick Up Your Sticks anywhere podcasts are found. And of course, as always, I appreciate the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.